0: gather on uh, first tuesdays you do seem a little quiet uh, so um i'll tone it down as well if that's all right and i'll just be quiet as well i won't rant and rave like i like i, I normally would but i just want to share a few thoughts um around a couple of passages uh, of scripture and um, this really came out of the 21 days of prayer and fasting that, that we've just been in just come through and uh, if i was going to give um just some theme to this, I would use the thought of um, there's a situation that's vacant we've been hearing about some vac- vacancies that are here but there 's a situation that's vacant, but only losers can apply okay so situation vacant only losers apply. You may say that's a strange thing to say. well I want to just show you how God and how he works how God is seeking to work in the life of the church. I want you to apply this to yourself, but I also want to apply it to the corporate context of what we're in with regards to Arena Church. You see in 1 Corinthians 1 and familiar verses for many of us if we have been in church for a little while, we surely will have heard a message preached from this or referenced. But it says in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse 26, and I'm going to read it from the New International version, it will come up on the screen. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. I'll stop there. Every one of us are called. If we're here and we know Jesus, there's a calling on every one of our lives. He called you. He called you by name. He knows you. And think of what we were when you were called. He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But verse 27, But God chose. I love that phrase. It comes three times. God chose. God chose the what? The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world. Am I speaking to anybody tonight to shame the strong? God chose the lowly things. Anybody in this category of this world? And the despised things and the things that are not. To nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore as it is written. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The reality is God has come to every single one of us. And came to the earth. And chose those things where the world would look to be lowly and foolish and weak and despised. And they're exactly the kind of people that God is wanting to use. That is why I'll say again that there's a situation that's vacant, but only losers may apply. I don't know whether I'm speaking to anybody this evening because I feel like I fit into that category. Um, You know, there are some very clever people here. There's some people who've got great degrees. There are people who've You've been to university, You've, you, you, you're very smart, you're very intelligent. Much more than me. Uh, much more than me. But the reality is God isn't looking for the brightest. He isn't looking for the best. He isn't looking for the smartest. He isn't looking for the richest. He's just looking for availability. And we've heard a little bit of that tonight. You see, it's often we can think that God is looking for something that actually God isn't looking for. He says in the same passage from 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 and uh, through to v- verse 31 from the message, I love how it reads, so I'm going to read it. It says, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life, this life, the life of faith. I didn't see many of the brightest and the best. Peterson's brilliant in his, in his, in his language among you. Not many influential not many from high society families. He could be speaking about the community of Ilkeston. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chooses those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. I love his language because it just resonates in my heart. I feel like there's hope for me. Am I speaking to anybody? That there's, there's a sense in which God could take my life, that God could actually do something with just a lad who came from Mansfield, who just, you know, uh, my mom and dad, g- great, but just normal people. And, and God could do something with somebody like me. It's not about, you know, where we've come from or what we own or what we have. You see, God looks for those people who are the weakest, the lowest. Uh, I've often heard Lisa say this, that she laughs to herself when she's at the desk. She'll, she'll laugh and snigger at to herself because she thinks who would have thought that God would use somebody like me to be able to minister to people that I'm ministering to and people who I know who know her from her past look on and they think exactly the same but that's what God does hello God takes the things that are nothing and begins to use them he takes the hollow pretensions of the somebody's to expose their you know uh, pretension and he uses nobody's to do that I love what God does does you see God is looking for losers in a culture that just talks about winning I'm here to talk about losing tonight because God is looking intentionally for some losers now I know some of the young people they do this am I doing it the right way that's it no, I'm actually doing it that way, aren't I? Because you're looking on. You know, they'll do that, loser. And I had a card, I don't mind saying, from Mike and Maggie, and they just, at the end of it, they said, and we love your anti-cool antics. And, and some would say, I'm just a loser. Sorry, I'm not as trendy and cool and hip and happening as Richard. But, you know, who gives a rip? I, I, I just, you know, God's looking for losers. Any, any losers out there? Yeah, there's some, you know... We don't think we're the best. We don't. We know we're not the smartest. We know we're not the best looking. But God is seriously looking for those kinds of people. I want to just bring your attention to a man in the Bible who, literally, now it's the in thing. They have yearbooks. It didn't happen when I was leaving school. It was very. He probably did in America, but now. There's yearbooks, there's school leavers, jerseys, and if you're of a certain age, you'll know what I'm talking about. And in those school yearbooks, they have photos of those who are leaving, and there may be a comment that people make, the most likely to succeed, the most likely to be the first millionaire, the most likely to this, the most likely to that. And this man who I'm going to talk about, if there was a yearbook and there wasn't, he would have been the most likely to succeed because there was promise all over his life it was passed down generationally there was something about this guy that was truly incredible but unfortunately this character needed a lesson in humility and he lived out of entitlement and he did a lesson he needed a lesson in losing he really did and the person I'm talking about is a man by the name of Jacob. Jacob was ordained for greatness. But he had to learn the way to God is low. You see, we live in an upside-down kingdom. And this is where people, it, it, you know, it really, frust- I, I, I watch people who get very frustrated. As I did when I was new in faith. Because it just didn't work out. Because naturally you think you're going to point the smartest. Hello? When you're going for a job interview, you look for the smartest. You look for the most charismatic. You look for the standouts, don't you? Any, any employees out there? That's what you look for. That's what you, but, but actually, God doesn't look like we look, we've just read it. God intentionally chooses the lowly, the despised, the failures, the losers of this world. And this man needed a lesson in losing because he couldn't bend his hand, head round. Many, many things. Like i said, it's an upside-down kingdom. You see, the first, everybody wants to be first. What does God say? The last will be what? Help me tonight. The last will be? Okay. He talks about those who are lowly, that God will what do with those who are lowly? He will. But everybody wants to be lifted up. We live in a culture that everybody wants to be known, and everybody wants to be lifted up. And everybody thinks the way to... Prominence is just getting on this stage, but actually, God says all I'm interested in is obscurity, and out of obscurity, if I choose, I will raise you up. Am I speaking to anybody tonight? Because this is the upside down kingdom that God is wanting us as a church to walk into. What it is, it's sobering. God is blessing us, God is helping us. There's momentum in this church, but I want to just guard that we keep very very low before jesus and we don't run above our station we don't think we're better than we actually are so it's a little bit of a gentle tap that i'm just bringing to the the children of god is that okay that's probably a wrong phrase i'm just moving you just make sure that we that we're not getting out of kilter some of you here are are destined for greatness some of you here are so destined for greatness, it's unbelievable. But you've got to learn something. It's an upside-down kingdom. If you going to be great? You've first got to be low. And you can shout at me, you can do whatever. He has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. Because he will open doors. And he will close doors. And this man by the name of Jacob... There's much I could say about him. Let me just give you a little bit of an understanding before we really dive into the text. Are you still with me tonight? You see, this man, Jacob, can I be really honest with you? He was a bit of, he was a, bit of a mummy's boy. A bit of a mummy's boy. She'd mothered him. She'd mothered him to death. Read the passage. He had a brother... We'll come on to it in a moment. He was dad's. I mean, and by the way, it was a completely dysfunctional Bible, a dysfunctional family. Yet, please, can I encourage you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just read the, the passage. It's a brilliant story. I mean, utter dysfunctionality. Isn't it. It's like weird. Weird. Eleanor, weird. Okay, weird. There's the answer call again, Mike. Weird. And it was weird because dad. Was taking the other boy out hunting and killing and in the wild, but Jacob was a mummy's boy, a real mummy's boy. And in my mind, as I look and I, I think he, she probably spoilt him. I don't know. She, she ruined him. She didn't help him. His dad probably didn't help him. As I rode down here, he. He learnt how to get along because he couldn't hunt or fight, but he learnt how to get along with, with cunning and with charm. Because he wasn't a street fighter, but there was, as part of his name, he was cunning, he was charming. He was the kind of guy, ladies, that you would probably quite like, I don't know. Bit of a ladies man, I don't, I don't know, but anyway... I, I, I don't think he describes him, but I look at him as like, you know, the, almost a blonde hair, blue eyes kind of, good looking kind of kid. Destined to win. But the problem with Jacob, that he hadn't l- learned to lose. See, he thought the situation was vacant for the best, but actually he learnt, needed to learn a lesson before God could do something with him. And this is where we pick up the story because there's some things that happened in Jacob's life that really didn't help him. He was blessed. You've got to read the story. He was blessed remarkably. Even how he got his his wives. You know, he was almost maneuvered and he maneuvered back and worked for his uncle and then earned wealth off his uncle and his uncle fell out with him and family wanted to move him on. But he was blessed. He was blessed. He was blessed with wives. That one's enough for me. But anyway, she's not here tonight. But, you know, he was in that time you were allowed, he was blessed. Oh, is she here? My God. Oh, she's here. Okay. Oh, you, honestly, Caroline. Oh, I am so blessed. She knows I am very blessed. Thank you, Martin, for pointing that out. There 's no supper for daddy tonight that 's for sure. <clears throat> Jacob was blessed with with sons you know there was there were sons that were hid his and, and he 'd and, and certainly been blessed with with, um, with cattle and riches and lots of things around his life. but the problem with Jacob and I know some of you know this, but I just want to paint the picture because you need to understand, I don't want to assume anything, is that the monkey on his back, if I can use that phrase, the real issue with Jacob was, he knew that once his dad died, he was in big trouble. Because he's, he'd nicked the birthright of his older brother. And that was a big deal. Because the blessing flowed, all, all, all of the riches of the dad flowed, to the elder son. You know, the kids had to just work it out. But that's what happened. It all flowed. And Jacob, with his mom, aiding and abetting him, had worked it out that he got the birthright. He got the blessing of, of the dad. So he knew full well, and he knew his brother knew this, pleaded with his father to bless him, and there was almost like a whimper of a blessing, but he knew the full blessing had gone to, to Jacob. And he knew that as soon as he saw, uh, sorry, uh, his father had uh, died, passed away, he was going to be in for it. And we picked the story up in Genesis 32. Don't worry, I've only got, I've got three points, but I think we can run through them quickly, because I just want to take you, you to, to the story, if we can just look at it from Genesis 32, verse 22. And it reads there, that night Jacob got up, this is before he was going to meet his brother, and he took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Move to the next verse, please. Otherwise, I'll keep. Great. Where have we gone now? Now I'm completely confused. Okay. And after he'd sent them across the stream, listen, he sent over all his possessions. And it says there, so Jacob was left alone. We'll come back to that in a moment. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared the sun rose above him as he passed and he was limping because of his hip. Three things that I want us to understand. As we understand there is a situation that's vacant but only losers need to apply. The first thing you need to understand is this looking at the life of Jacob and what he needed to learn was this first of all, when all is gone, who are you? It's a question I want to ask you. When all is gone, who are you? When everything is stripped away from you, when you are stripped bare, naked, butt naked, who are you? It says in verse 24, so Jacob was left alone. Everything had gone. His future hanging in the balance. His wives and servants and kids and possessions all passed over and now Jacob was left alone. Some commentators I would absolutely agree with them. There was that place where he knew he just needed to get with God. He just needed to be with God. he, he I don't think he would be you know, physically naked but he was naked. He was left alone. He was bereft of anybody. And what are we like? Who are we like? When all is gone. You see Oftentimes, we want to bring who we are to God or what we have to God. And God is simply saying, look, I just want you to bring who you are to me. You know, no pretense. I was saying in a staff meeting this morning, I find it fascinating in a mentoring context that sometimes people tell you what what they think you want to hear. That's not mentoring. That's not accountability. What you what you want is people just to be laid bare. There's somebody, who, a pastor, who, I, who I'm meeting. He'll ask me, how's, "How's, how's, the wife?" Well, I better tell him now after what I've said. I don't know whether she'll be uh, there'll be any supper. I'm joking, guys. But you know, how's the relationship with the wife? How are you with the kids? How are you handling your emotions? How is the church? How is the leadership? Are you handling your, you know, stress levels? I have somebody who does that. There's no point me just walking in and just giving them a load of bull. You know, there's got to be a place where we're actually vulnerable. And oftentimes, people come before God and they're putting on all kinds of masks. But my question to to you is this: When all is gone, who are you? You see, we trust in so much of our stuff, our intelligence, our career, our possessions, our family. Who are you when it's all gone? Your reputation. Who are you when it's all gone? You see, there are many people, again, who i come across who are trying to get to God. And they try to get to God and they try to to be strong enough. They try to be holy enough. They try to stop sinning. Have you come across them? You might be here tonight. You're going to, I'm going to stop sinning. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop swearing. And you're just doing it on the shore. Willpower. I want to say to you, We have no ability to overcome the power of sin unless we invite Jesus into our lives. It's impossible for you to stop sinning because it's just a natural bias that we have. There are many people who are trying to get to God, trying to be good enough. But all God wants us to be is just like Jacob. Jacob was left alone. Everything stripped away from him. I love that verse, you know I do, in Ephesians, but it says, by grace you have been saved through faith. I love what the theologian Martin Luther said, "This justification by grace through faith. I love the fact that justification means it's just as if I've never sinned. And how has that happened? Through his wonderful grace. God's grace is God giving to us that which we don't deserve. And it comes through faith, our trust, our confidence, our confidence, being fully convinced that what Jesus came to do, he did. And that's how we justified from our sins. Have you got it? We don't have to try. We don't have to be. We just have to be who we are. And Jacob had to learn this lesson when all is gone. Who are you? Secondly, the thing that we need to understand is this. You can fight God, but you won't win. You can fight God all you want, but he won't win. You won't win. And we see in verse 24 that Jacob... It says there, and a man wrestled with him, with her, with J- with Jacob till daybreak. Verse twenty-five. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And verse thirty-one, it says there, and Jacob was limping because of his hip. You may ask the question. It's worthy of a question. Who is the man who was there wrestling with God? Well, I actually believe, like many commentators, it was actually an incarnation of Jesus. It wasn't an angel. You can say it was an angel, but I actually believe it was an incarnation of Jesus. We look in the Old Testament that it actually there are many times Jesus was revealed, incarnated. It doesn't use Jesus, but we know it's God. God was wrestling. Now, you may say, well, that's a bit ridiculous because Jacob was winning against God. No, he was just giving him a little bit of a chance. It's like me with my son Isaac. He thinks he can take me, but there's no chance he can take me. Not a chance. Son, just cut, pipe down. There's no way you can take this old man Yeah, You've got a few more inches. You've got to put a few more, you know, pounds on those guns and then you might be able to take me. You know what I'm talking about, Dad? So when the kids, the old thing... Steve, you must have had it where your three boys thought they could take you probably still thinking now, but you could panel them. We all know it. Okay. And that's what he basically was doing. That's what was happening. I'm not saying he was toying with him, not saying he was playing with him, but he was just, he wasn't releasing his full power because all that God needed to do was just a little flick of his finger and Jacob would be destroyed. You see, the point that I want to make is this, which is really, really important that God picked a fight. Have you ever thought about that? God was picking a fight. And God will pick a fight with you. Because many of you, all of us, some of you are destined for a particular special thing and if he's wanted to do some, something special in you, sometimes he has to wrestle you and he will fight you. And God picked a fight but this is the thing you need to understand for those who are taking notes I hope you're still with me Jacob didn't wrestle with the man instead God wrestled with Jacob and there's a distinct difference you see Jacob didn't start out wanting anything from God God wanted something from Jacob God wanted all of Jacob's proud self-reliance and fleshly scheming and he came to take it by force, if necessary. I don't know whether you know what I'm talking about here, but it's a strange place to know that God's on your case and you're wrestling with him because there was a struggle of the will, there was a struggle of the heart, there was a struggle of attitude and experiences. And Jacob was bringing all his, his virile manhood. He was bringing his cunning. He was bringing his tenacious spirit. He was also bringing his petulance and his persistence. All those things were being wrestled for, it would have been a great Disney movie. Why was the wrestling? Because, as I've said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God says, I will bring low those who are haughty, but the humble I will exalt. So I wonder what you are struggling with. Because you can fight with God, but you won't win. And just in these closing moments, I just want to just reference three things. Paul was fighting against God. Again, you've got to read it in the book of Acts. And it was wrestling against the purposes of God. And God took him down on a road to Damascus. Jonah was frustrated with God and thought he could win. And was frustrated that God was gracious towards the city of Nineveh. And in his temper and in his paddy. And of course, as men, we never have tempers and paddies, do we? He went off and he found himself in the belly of a big fish. And Moses thought that he'd give God a hand because he was his saviour and he slay an Egyptian and found himself in the backside of a desert. We may think we can fight God, but we'll never win. 2009, I fought with God. I had a massive, massive punch-up with God. Massive. There's a number of things that had led up to it and some of you will know where I'm talking about. I'm not about to unpack that, but I know it was an almighty punch-up. And I was wrestling with God and it was so painful. And I remember somebody giving me a book and I remember somebody... The Lord speaking to me about Jacob from this story. This is why it's been so much to me, and this came out of prayer and fasting. The Lord reminded me of it again, and I'll come on to another story in a moment to just join up some of the dots. The Lord spoke to me in 2009. He says, "You're just like Jacob. You're just like Jacob." One of his names of his—I'll come on to it—was he, he, they, they actually part of the definition of Jacob. They often say schemer or supplanter, but it also means to circumnavigate. And a circumnavigator is somebody who always finds a way forward, around. Somebody who always finds a way around. It just summed me up. I'll find a way round, But I had no way finding around here and I knew God had got me in a headlock. And I met with a pastor friend at that point who I used to relate to. And he, he said to me, he says, you just, he didn't know any of this. The Lord speak to me. He said, you're just like Jacob. And you've been wrestling with God. And you'll never walk the same. You'll forever walk with a limb as a result of this. We were expecting God to just break out and do amazing miracles. It didn't. It was, it was just a shambles. But I now roll it on. We're in a good place. Remembered that story. I wanted now to now take you back to three weeks ago. I was lecturing in, in a context. and uh, There was a, an apostolic leader from the Middle East who I had never met before. And I'd just finished off my session. I didn't really say talk too much because that wasn't my thing about my life. I mentioned one or two things about the church. But as soon as I finished, he came to me and he says, Can I could I have a word with you? We'd introduced one another, but it was just been the pleasantries, hello, and that was it. He says, The Lord spoke to me. I'm always careful when I hear that. Because I think, okay. I'm not skeptical, but okay, I just I want to just weigh this. He said, The Lord spoke to me. He says, because while she was speaking, I asked the Lord, what's different about this man? Because there's something very different about him. And by the way, it wasn't because I was blindingly brilliant in the pulpit, because I wasn't. I wasn't. In my actually, I think I was having a little bit of an off day. But he said to the Lord, what's different about this man? And he says, and this is what the Lord said to me, and I don't know whether it means anything to you. He said, The Lord said to me about you, This is a man I trust because he walks with a limp. And then he began to just say some things that was going to happen to me and also to this church, which I need to share at some point with the elders. So we need to weigh it. But all I will say to you is the accuracy, it's almost as if he knew the elders. We'd been in the elders' meeting. I'm looking at Steve and Josh and it's almost as if he'd been in the elders meeting some of the things that he'd said so I needed he got my attention anybody know what I'm talking about? he just got my attention because this is the word I've been carrying it all comes out of wrestling with God and you might feel like you're wrestling at this moment I want to say you can fight but you can't win the answer is in Point three. Point three. Because we see that Jacob, thirdly, surrendered and then was changed. You see, as you surrender, you are changed. We see in, in, uh, I'm just trying to look where it is, what verse it is. Yeah, verse 28. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but it is now Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome See, as you surrender in the fight to God, you are changed. But I want to just underline this. There is a process of change. Because what is interesting to note about this story, you've got to just trust me on this, but check it out if you want to. They continue to reference Jacob, not Israel, in the, you know, preceding scriptures. And they actually use the name Jacob twice as often as Israel. See, my take on that is, the old man was still in the process of change. Is that good news for everybody? You see, oftentimes we talk about how God changes us. And as we surrender, we change. It's almost as if something overnight is going to change. And we're going to become this mass- magical, wonderful mother Teresa figure who flows with the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit all in one. And it all just happens. But I want to say what happens at salvation is we changed. We know we were a sinner and now we're saved. We knew we were far away from God. Now we know we've brought, been brought close to God. But now the hard work begins. Am I talking to anybody? It's a process of change. And as we surrender, we are changed. And if I can say, guys, tonight, if you are camped to the cross, what we want to encourage you is to move to the next step. If you've never been baptized, there's still opportunity. There's still time. If you have made a commitment to follow Jesus, but you are not baptized, that is your next step. And even in the point of, 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 of baptism in water, something happens. I want to tell you, it's a significant happen. It's not a place of perfection because nobody would go through the waters. It's just that whole thought of, you know, what's happened internally, I'm now showing externally to the world. Some people then, that's it, they just camp at baptism of water. No, God is wanting to move us forward. How will we live in our lives? What does surrender look like? What surrender looks like to me, that actually I live differently, I talk differently, I act differently. I'd love to say that I, you know, it's all, I'm always flowing with the fruit of the Spirit, and, but that's not the case. Anybody else out there? There's challenges that we have, there's difficulties that we have, there's things that come against us. We have to contend for this faith. But one thing I do know, and Jacob knew that as he surrendered, he was changed. He went from the schemer, he went from the heel holder, he went from the overreacher, the find-a-way-rounder, circumnavigator, to now his name was God rules. God rules. In fact, it also means God prevailed. His name was changed. He was changed from one degree of glory to another and this is what happens in our lives. This is what happens in your life. I hope you're still with me tonight. That God changes our lives as we surrender. As we come to the point of we saying, God, I can't win. I am a loser. Then God, please do what only you can do in my life. God is not interested in Billy Big Boots. He's not interested in how good you are. He's not interested in how good you are at anything. He just wants simple surrender. You might be good at those things, but he's just looking for a heart of surrender. So that's good news, I think, for those who feel discouraged tonight and who feel beat up as Christians. As I close, because there's many people who do, I would encourage you to bring your imperfections, your weaknesses, your sins, your failures. And here's the phrase, and let Jesus own them. Let Jesus own them. That's what happened at the cross. He owned them. He took them upon himself. Oh, what a wonderful this is this is why it's great news tonight, guys. It's really great news that Jesus took my sins, my failures, my struggles, my mistakes. And he owns them. But he doesn't just own them. He says, Oh my goodness, Christian, you are such a loser. I now have a job for you. Because you now walk with a limp. I'm in that story. I'm not trying to... I hope you know my heart is not to say anything about me or bring... It's the only illustration that I can use. God is looking for people who will walk with limps. So may God help us. May hey God help us as a church not to think less of ourselves, not to all go insular. We are what we are. There's some sparkling personalities around this room, and I want you to keep sparkling. But let's make sure that we keep very close to Jesus. Let's make sure we keep very humble when people start saying nice things about us. It's nice when people say nice things about you, but I also say. You know, Don't believe all the press that you hear. I'm just saying, just keep our hearts pure. Keep our hearts humble. Keep our hearts good. Because it's those kinds of people that God uses for His glory. I'll say again, situation vacant, but only losers to apply. I wonder if we'd just bow our heads for a moment.